This time I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 27 to verse 32. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. This evening we're at Lord's Day 41 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which speaks to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And for our preaching text, we're going to be looking at chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 27 to 30 in particular. Let us now hear God's word. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Thus far the reading of God's holy word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, I invite you to turn in your forms and prayers book, the forms and prayer book, to page 248, question and answer 108 and 109. Again, this speaks to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Congregation, I'll ask the question, please respond with the answer. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? That God condemns all unchastity and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. Let's ask God's blessing in a word of prayer. O Father in heaven, we pray, O Lord, that your Spirit would be poured out upon us as we hear the preaching of the Word, that your Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds to receive your Word with believing hearts, and not only receive it with believing hearts, but walk in a manner worthy that men are worthy of the calling that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we would walk in the new creation that is in Jesus Christ. Oh Father, we pray that you would be glorified and honored and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Like every commandment in the second table of the law, that is the commandments for man to man, that is that horizontal relationship from thou shall not, or you shall honor your father and your mother, to you shall not covet. That's the second table of the law. And every commandment in the second table of the law really reflects God's nature or character. And so you have in the fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother because God is authority. Authority is found in God. And God places people of authority over people. Then you have the sixth commandment, which we looked at last week in the evening. You shall not murder, which reflects God's character because God is the God of the living. God is life. God loves life and gives life. Well, we have the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. This, too, reflects the character of God. How? God is faithful. God is faithful. And God desires his people to be faithful in their relationships, particularly in this commandment between husband and wife. In the Old Testament, God was the husband of his people. And why did Israel go into exile? Well, for a number of reasons. One of those reasons was that they were faithless. They were adulterers. How? They went after other gods. And so the seventh commandment really reflects the character or nature of God. That is his faithfulness. Be faithful in your marriage, in your relationships. The preaching and instruction of the seventh commandment is very much needed today, isn't it? But as a preacher, I have to be honest with you, sometimes it scares me to preach on this. But I assure you I'm preaching to myself. There are just as many cases of adultery and divorce in the church as there is in the world. This commandment needs to be taught and explained and preached because the statistics are indeed staggering. God forbids all forms of adultery. If I were to just stop there, we would be in a whole heap of trouble. If our eyes were turned away from Jesus Christ, we would be in a whole lot of trouble. Yes, we need to understand the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ concerning the seventh commandments. But we need to look also to Jesus Christ himself who redeems and forgives and has mercy upon the repentant adulterer or adulteress. So as we work through this sermon, don't lose sight of Jesus and his saving love. Let us not lose sight of his saving mercy and grace. Let's first look at adulterous acts. Verse 27, look with me in your Bible. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Before he would say, you have heard that it was said to those of old, that the ancients of old would say, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now he says, you have heard that it was said, it can be implied here from the ancients, 
from the people of old, you shall not commit adultery. But even before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, God instituted marriage in the beginning, a lifelong monogamous relationship between one man and one woman, when the man shall leave father and mother and do what? Cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a oneness about the husband and wife with a purpose to mutually love and help one another, to enjoy the blessing of sexual intimacy, and if God, God wills to bear children, they have children. It wasn't until God saved his people from the hand of Pharaoh and God's enemies, the Egyptians, that he gave Israel the law, where they hear the second commandment, you shall not commit adultery. God establishes good and gracious boundaries for his people. You are going to go into the promised land, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Show faithfulness to one another. You shall not commit adultery. God placed the necessary boundaries to protect the husband and wife relationship so that fidelity or faithfulness be maintained and cherished in the relationship. There's that profound union between husband and wife, and we know the New Testament speaks of Christ and his union with his church. That great profound mystery. You shall not commit adultery. You heard that it was said. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament, commit adultery, refers to a man, married or unmarried, who has sexual relationships with a married or betrothed woman. A man, married or unmarried, who has sexual relationships with a married or betrothed woman. Betrothed, you remember Mary? She was betrothed to Joseph in those days, in that culture, that was a legal act. It wasn't just an engagement like we have today. No, there was a legal contract. In Leviticus 20, verse 10, Moses writes, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. This was very serious in the sight of God. In the Old Testament, adultery involved a woman's unfaithfulness to her husband. A married man who had relationships with an unmarried or unbetrothed woman didn't commit adultery in the sight or eyes of Israel. Did that excuse them of sexual immorality? No. That is sexually immoral. But the Jews understood this commandment to mean it involved a married or betrothed woman who dishonored her husband. Listen, last week I mentioned some things from Jewish interpretation of God's law. Listen to what they say about adultery here. According to Jewish tradition, they say the extramarital intercourse of a married man is not per se a crime in biblical or later Jewish law. This distinction comes or stems from the economic aspect of Israelite marriage. The wife was the husband's possession. 
And adultery constituted a violation of the husband's exclusive right to her, the wife, as the husband's possession and had no such right to him. Adultery is prohibited in the Decalogue, they write, where it is listed between murder and theft among offenses against one's fellow. Like all sexual wrongs, it defiles those who commit it. The adulteress defiles herself and brings shame on her husband, but the adulterer has coveted and took his neighbor's wife. If you ever read the Tenth Commandment, notice you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Speaking to men. Now it applies to men and women, but the man was the head of the home. The wife was the helper, the sidekick, the one who helped her husband. But this is how the Israelites interpreted the law, which is exactly where Jesus wants to go with his teaching here on adultery. In the New Testament, listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. God blessed human beings with the gift of sex, but only within the marriage union. Paul in the New Testament unpacks what Jesus is going, saying here. And he's going back to the beginning. Man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Husbands, your wives own your body. Wives, your husbands own your body. You are one. Furthermore, in Christ, we have received the Spirit of God. And Paul says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Flee from sexual immorality, therefore, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Husband and wife belong to one another. They are one flesh. And sexual intimacy or relations outside of that union is forbidden by God. And indeed, adultery. Question and answer 108 asks, what is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? Answer that God condemns all unchastity and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside the holy state of marriage. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, Jesus' contemporaries would 
agree with that commandment. But like they did with murder, they do the same here. It's not what the ancients said, it's what they didn't say. And what didn't they say? Jesus provides a deeper interpretation and meaning to the commandment. Second point, adulterous thoughts and words. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. So it's not just the physical, actual act of adultery, the actual act of sexual intimacy with someone outside of the covenant relationship, the covenant marriage. Lustful looks in God's eyes are considered adultery. Jesus provides the deep meaning of the commandment. Notice in your Bible, verse 26, or verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, now the Greek word gune there can actually be translated wife. And it's the same word that's used in verse 31. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, that's the same word, gune, but it also could be translated woman. What is Jesus saying here? Lustful looks at a woman, married or single, no matter who they are, is adultery. Because the man covets her in his thoughts or heart as an object of pleasure and delight only. Furthermore, lustful looks dishonors and shames his wife to whom he is one flesh with. Husbands, our hearts should be sold out to Jesus and to our wives. And the same is true for you, wives. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already, you can underline that word, already committed adultery with her in his heart. What about adulterous words? Have you ever heard of emotional adultery? There's a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth to that. Have you ever heard of emotional adultery that seeks to win over or, or woo another person? Let me help us by some examples. A wife may say, my husband doesn't meet my emotional needs at home. He doesn't pay attention to me when I talk to him. He doesn't meet my, my needs. But the guy at work, my coworker, he listens to me. He hears what I have to say. And the wife is connected to that. I like what the catechism uses. It uses the words incite. 
the word incite. The coworker incites the woman who feeds on her emotional needs, and the woman enjoys it. The wife enjoys it and desires it. This is emotional adultery that uses words and looks. what Jesus is referring to. So the catechism is teaching about this commandment. The woman's heart, the wife's heart is being captivated by another man other than her husband. The husband's error in judgment, the husband's lack of Meeting his wife's emotional needs needs to be dealt with, surely. Men, we need to be dealing rightly about what this commandment means for us. We need to know our wives and love our wives and cherish our wives. We need to meet their needs. But what the wife does in this example does not justify her behavior, her actions. Or how about the husband? How about the husband? My wife doesn't care for my needs. My wife doesn't give me any physical attention. I said earlier, this, these are hard sermons for pastors to preach, and they are hard, but they are necessary. My flesh doesn't want to preach it, but the Spirit says, preach it. So what about the husband? My wife doesn't care for my physical needs, and so I'll look elsewhere for pleasure. I'll covet my neighbor's wife. I have lustful looks, perhaps, the husband may say, towards other women, looking at things that he ought not to look at, flirting with women and using innuendos to get her attention. Jesus deepens the commandment and its meaning. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen carefully again to the catechism, catechism's instruction and teaching. Question and answer 109 asks, Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery, that is the physical act, the adulterous act? Answer, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul. And God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talks, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. Congregation, God forbids adulterous acts, thoughts, and words. And the consequences of each vary some more serious than others, but all dishonoring to the Lord.
Because man may not see what is in our hearts. Men, your wife, your girlfriend, your neighbor, your friend, may not know what's in your heart and what you are struggling with and what your eyes are looking at. But God does. And before him, we are laid bare and naked. Hebrews chapter 4. I hope your eyes are on Jesus right now. I hope your eyes are on Jesus. Because where would we be? Acts, thoughts, and words. Some have more serious consequences than others, but all dishonor the Lord. Thirdly, lastly, guard yourself from all forms of adultery. Jesus says at verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Similarly, in chapter 18, verses 7 to 9, he says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Congregation, our Lord knows our struggle. He knows your struggle. He knows our weakness. He knows your weakness. He doesn't forbid adultery in all its forms without giving us very practical counsel in these verses 29 and 30. He uses a rhetorical device or tool called hyperbole or exaggeration. Jesus isn't calling for the mutilation of the flesh. He isn't calling for you to chop off body parts. He already taught us that out of the heart flows immorality and all sorts of evil. So what good is that going to do? If you chop off your right arm, well, you still have your left arm to commit adultery. So in bringing it in context and understanding the genre, the literature, the way Jesus is speaking here using hyperbole, Jesus is teaching us to use radical measures, just like it's radical to chop off your hand or pluck out your eye, use radical measures to fight against immorality and sin. 
If your right eye or right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to go into heaven limping than it is into hell leaping. The fight and struggle against sexual sin is real. The fight and struggle against sexual sin in your heart and my heart is very real. And drastic measures are necessary to fight against it. When I do premarital counseling, I'm pretty sure that I tell every couple that just because you get married, sexual sin goes away. Couples are on cloud nine, they're engaged to be married, they're like in the clouds. Everything's going to be great and grand, and all these temptations to sexual morality or committing adultery in the heart is just going to go away. No, it doesn't. In fact, Satan works overtime. Use drastic measures to fight against the real struggle against sin. So what does he tell us? Don't look, don't touch, don't stick around. Don't look, don't touch. With the eye you see, with the hand you touch. And then elsewhere, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. So I incorporate in there, don't stick around. At chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Guard your eyes, because the heart captures and lusts after what the eyes see. Many of us remember the days when we took camera, uh, pictures with Polaroid. We had to use a thing called film, boys and girls. And what happened, you would point the camera and you would point it at an object and you would click the button and it would take a picture and it would imprint on film that you would take this film out and bring it to a Walgreens and they would develop it. I probably lost many of you right there. But the camera lens takes the picture and it is imprinted on the film the heart is the film. Your eyes are the lens. What are you looking at? What am I looking at? A few weeks ago, during the morning worship service, the children's Sunday school class blessed us by singing up here. Do you remember one of the songs they sang? Do you remember what they sang? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Do you think they were singing just for themselves? you think it's a cutesy little Christian song for boys and girls? We need to hear it. We need to hear it. 
Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Guard your eyes. Don't look. Don't touch. Stay away from places, from things that you ought not to touch. When I was in youth ministry, I used to tell the youth group, especially the boys, use the bounce method. You know, Pastor, what's the bounce method? They would ask me. Whenever you see something, you have even an inkling of a uh, lustful intent, bounce your eyes elsewhere. Walk and bounce elsewhere. I had to talk to teenage boys. Bounce your eyes elsewhere, men, women, wives, husbands. God in the seventh commandment, seeks to preserve and protect the union of marriage. Because marriage profoundly reflects the marriage of Christ and his bride who is in union with his church. Christ, the bridegroom, is our faithful Savior, our faithful Savior, who deeply loved his bride and laid down his life for his bride so that we would be united to him. Jesus so loved his bride that he sanctifies her by his blood and spirit. May our marriages reflect, reflect the union of Christ and his church. May we honor and please God with our actions, with our thoughts, with our words toward our wives, husbands, Wives, may our actions, thoughts, and words reflect your submission and love to your husbands. And let us not be of the world, for we are of his kingdom. The things of this world are the lusts of the flesh, as John talks about. The desires of the flesh, but we belong to Christ. In body and soul and life and in death. So commit yourself to all purity and holiness. Single people, young people, singles. Live pure and holy lives. Avoid, flee from sexual immorality because that too falls under this commandment. Married couples, work hard on your marriage. Do what it takes. Take radical measures to protect your marriage. Feed it, water it, exercise it. Do it so with love and grace toward your spouse. Practice repentance. Offer forgiveness. Build one another up. Remember your marriage vows. Marriage may know great pain and hardship. There are stages in marriages where we experience that. But Jesus is the great physician. And when we talk about Jesus as the great physician, we often immediately point to the great physician of the body. You know, he is the great physician of the soul who heals and cleanses and forgives. When couples turn to him in humility and faith, he brings healing to the marriage. He brings strength. He opens our eyes to see our misplaced and adulterous desires of the heart so that our affections are torn toward him and towards our spouse.
to whom we were united in marriage. Jesus Christ has mercy and forgives. Yes, he calls us to don't look, don't touch, and to don't stick around. But when we do, run to Jesus. Know his forgiving love. Pray that God will give you the strength and grace to fight against the temptation to sin. And he is faithful to forgive. I'm going to close with Paul's words in 2 Timothy. Paul says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There is forgiveness and mercy for the adulterous act, thoughts, and words to those who call upon him humbly. And he, according to his faithfulness and goodness, forgives and has mercy. Praise be to God. When Jesus takes the seventh commandment and explains it more profoundly and deeply, we are all found guilty. But in him and faith in his name, we are made righteous and holy by his shed blood and perfect righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts in such a way that we would be humbled Humbled by the fact that you, O oh Lord, should look upon us in favor and not count our sin against us and to wash us as white as snow by the precious blood of Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are struggling and enduring a fierce battle against the flesh. I pray for those whose lustful looks are turning into innuendos and words that are unpleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that you would convict and bring to repentance those are wayward and seeking the desires of the flesh for the satisfaction of their souls. Father, forgive us. Have mercy upon us. Help us, O oh Lord, to walk in that newness of life. Help us to fight the good fight of faith to look upon our neighbor not with lustful looks, but with love and care for their soul.
that we would think pure thoughts, holy thoughts, righteous thoughts, just thoughts, and that we would not covet our neighbor. May husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. May wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to her Lord. And may the holy bond of marriage among your people be a beautiful reflection of Christ's love for his bride, the church. We pray this in Jesus' name.